kids, I'm out of practice on this, but are you guys ready? Uh, Elevate restarts today. So if you are pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, remember the spotlight. Oh, there's no spotlight, but Miss Courtney is still over there. Miss Courtney does not mind not having a spotlight, <laughs> but if you have a pre-K, kindergartner, there's the spotlight. You're welcome, Courtney. Glad we could do that for you. If you're a guest of ours this morning and you have a pre-K, kindergartner, or first grader, this is their opportunity to go to a children's church time. It's just around the corner. You'll be able to pick them up just around the corner. It's their first time. Maybe go with them. That will help Courtney out. Friends, get your Bible ready. We're going to have a chance to study God's Word. After this, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. And then if you need to respond, we want you to respond after that. John, it's all yours, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, it has been a blessing to be here. Uh, I uh, have a great uh, heart of gratitude towards the missions of this church, not only because of the years of faithful uh, being part of uh, praying for missionaries around the world, receiving missionaries here, sending out, but also in your going. Uh, because one of the mission teams you sent out a couple of years ago was real instrumental in something you may not have known about. Uh, it was real instrumental in seeing Tom Brady make his steps towards Christ. Now, I think you're going, wow, we didn't know about Tom Brady and all this. Well, Tom Brady happens to be my grandson, about uh, my friend down here's age. And, uh, and on the 4th of July this year, he was baptized and your church. Jim and team, I met several people who were on that team, had a lot to do to impact uh, my son and his wife and their four kids. And thank you because, you know, you've made a difference in the Brady family and, uh, and how that works. So I appreciate a church that reaches out. Uh, wherever they go and touches whoever God brings their their way. Today, I want you to turn to Matthew 28. Uh, just, I'm, I'm going to let you know uh, a little statistic, and this is one of the things uh, that that you should know. We saw what the IMB's vision was, if you looked up on the screen a couple of times here earlier. And uh, one of our, our mission statement is to help Southern Baptists to serve Southern Baptists in carrying out the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. Well, a recent survey said that 51% of conservative, uh, conservative evangelical Christians, larger than just this, didn't know that there was a Great Commission. Now, I know that's not true of this church, but it said also 30% beyond that, didn't know where it was in the Bible. Well, today we're going to look at one of four really clear statements about the Great Commission. And that's in Matthew chapter 28. But we're going to look at it from a context position. Um, because in Matthew 28, it begins out with the resurrection. And now the resurrection is really important when you think about the Great Commission. Uh, and, and then it's going to also uh, come back and in that chapter talk about the counteroffensive that Satan launches at the same time with the Great Commission. Then we're going to look at what's the basis of the Great Commission, which uh, shows to be worship. And then what's the authority that we have? Is it because your pastor says you ought to be part of the Great Commission? Or where's the authority come from? And then... What's the task that we have? And then, 
what's the great promise, and what you're going to do with it. So that's where we're going to walk through this today. So have your Bibles out, get ready, because we're going to walk pretty rapidly through, through this passage of Scripture to arm you, to arm you with the greatest commission you could get. There is no commission that you could receive in your life that will equal this one, which has been given to us. So uh, when we come in this day and age, and, and people say, well, you know, the resurrection. So what does that have to do with anything? I mean, really? You believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, <laughs> I've had the privilege in my life many, many times, because we lived in the Middle East for a long time, to, to take a, a little bus that starts down on the Jordan Valley when I was coming over from Jordan. And when I got out of that bus, I got out and I, I, I just always knew what I was going to do. I was going to take a few steps and then I was going to look back at this cliff on the side of the hill right outside the, 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 the walls of Jerusalem. And right there I would see two holes that are up high and a place down there. And it, by all archaeological and other kind of references, is Golgotha. I know that just about a hundred yards from there, is a tomb. And when you walk into that tomb, like in the, in the book of Mark, uh, you'll see that it said that walking into the tomb, there was an angel on the right. Well, most tombs that you walk into, most things are to the left. But when you walk into this tomb, the sepulcher has a place on the right where the angel would have sat. And then you walk out and you see where there was a huge stone there. And, and, and I have had the privilege of going there. I've had the privilege of, of walking with many I, who have done the archaeological work that stands behind this word. But you know, this word stands true whether the archaeology is right or wrong. But the archaeology stands with the truth of this word. There is so much about the truth of, of the resurrection that stands so clear. There are hundreds and hundreds of pages of information that comes back here. And we know that God does something incredible here because what does it say in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 25? It, it does talk all about that the cross is where uh, Jesus pays for our sin. But he said, he was raised for our justification. So when we think about the resurrection, we realize that that's about our justification before Christ. This is the rest of the story. This is the power. If there was no resurrection, Paul says, we would be very ashamed. But there has been a resurrection, and there is. So it begins with the fear of the Roman government and the Sadducees and the Pharisees because they went together and they said, hey, He's dead, but, you know, uh, they said he's going to rise again, so let's put a guard. We're going to put the guards from the most powerful army in the world at that time. We're going to put guards for there, and we're going to seal it up, put it in there, so that nobody will touch it. Well, all day Saturday, started on Friday, all day Saturday, and then according to the Scripture, on the dawn of that first morn, we begin chapter 28 it says now after the sabbath towards the dawn of the first day of the week mary magdalene and the other mary went to the tomb and behold 
There was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled back that stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The most powerful army in the world, the soldiers became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen. Maybe some of the most important words ever uttered on the planet. Come. See where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going before you into Galilee and there you will see him see I have told you so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy ran to tell the disciples and behold Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up to him. When Jesus met them, he said greetings, and came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to the Galilee, and they will see me there. This is the foundation of our mission. It, it happened. It happened in time. It happened on a specific day, according to a specific plan. It, Jesus was in the grave. He uh, was laid in a borrowed tomb. He was laid in the tomb of Jer Joseph of Arimathea. He had the scars. He had the spear in his side. He had the wounds on his hands. He had this, this, the, the nails through his feet and the scars from the whipping on his back. He laid in that tomb, and he was dead. But on that morning, just like we sang a few minutes ago, something amazing happened. It, it, doesn't, it never has happened this way before, and it will happen again. But it will happen to many who, uh, who may have been dead a long time. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's the greatest hope that Christians have. Yes, we are forgiven. And yes, the forgiveness helps us to, to walk closer and closer and closer to him through the course of this life. And forgiveness is at the core of everything we need. But to know that we will never, ever have to fear sin and death because of the resurrection on the last day when it comes and we will live forever changes everything. It changes everything. Uh, when we live in a time of concentrated human death around the world where people are dying in so many places that we don't even know about them and who they are and who, where they have died, uh, it, it is more important for us to understand that Christ has left us here with a message that life and life eternal is possible for all who will believe. John 3.16 becomes as important as anything you know. Because it says, for God so loved the world. That means everybody. And he gave 
to this world, his unique, his only, his begotten son, who, what, if you put your faith in him, you trust him, you believe in him, you will move from perishing to life eternal. There's only two kind of people in the world. People who are perishing and people who have life eternal. And we have the role, we have the opportunity, we have that to come and say the resurrection is true and it can be true for you. That is at the heart of mission. Some of you probably know people. And this church has experienced it and even recently. This thing that goes with death. But you know, the sting of death is removed when you realize that, that we will be changed. And this mortal body will put on an immortal body. And that the resurrection is true. In the 15th chapter uh, of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, This is of first importance to know that, that Jesus came, he lived, he died according to the scripture, and he rose again according to the scripture. That is the essence. That is of first importance. You can know a lot of other things, but if you don't know that, you missed what is first and foremost in importance. That's why reading this resurrection story should be so hard. So important to all of us. So anywhere. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went. They, they, they were there, and they could feel that earthquake. I don't know if they were quite there or not, but when they walked in there, there was an angel, an angel who was there clothed. And those soldiers were so afraid, they trembled and were like they were dead. Now that's some fear. These Roman soldiers were veterans. Everybody who got to, to Jerusalem was a veteran. That was not a cush assignment. That was an assignment that had a lot of problems in, in it. And these men... They had seen something at that moment that they had never seen before. Jesus looked at those women, and this is something you find all through the Bible when Jesus is speaking to believers. He says, do not be afraid. A friend of mine, uh, y'all might know him as Nick Ripkin. He's written uh, several books on persecution. He says there's 366 do not be afraid in the Bible. He said that's one for every day of the year plus one when you need an extra day. And, uh, but this, do not be afraid. It's what he looked at them. And then he says something that's very important. He said, you seek Jesus who was crucified. Nailing it down. Yes, he was crucified. That's very important. And then they said, but he's not here. And then it says, come and see where he laid. Uh, it, it's important to, to look. To, he doesn't say just to, to come in and, and just accept it blindly. No, come and see. If you look, you want to find out. He has been risen. He was not there. We find it again and again. As a matter of fact, Paul said there were over 500 people who, who saw that he was alive, encountered him before the ascension into heaven. Over 500 witnesses. That's is beyond James and the 12 apostles, including one, or the 11 apostles, and including one born out of time, um, Paul. 
So this is not just a, 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 a incidental thing and maybe you get a feeling about it and you want to say it's okay and it's an experience. No, no, no. This is a historical fact. Unlike any other religion or any other thing, when you come to follow Christ, you come to a place where there are historical facts that are so key that you must know because this happened in real time, I'm in a real place, and with real people. And so it is not something that is, is just mystical and spiritual that is off in some other realm, although there is a whole spiritual side that carries you so much further than anything else. But the truth of the matter is, this is the beginning of the recreation of the planet. Genesis 1.1 is so, is so important because in the beginning, God, and then he creates the world, and then he makes us in his image, both male and female, in his image. And then we did sin, and we got separated from God, and we, were, we were, had no way back. We had to do all sorts of, of uh, sacrifice as substitutionary uh, for us and asking for forgiveness through those years of, of the Old Testament. But then he comes again and he says, for once and for all, the final sacrifice has been made so that the world might live again. <laughs> One of the things you don't find right here, but you find in other places, is that in the temple, between the Holy of Holies and the rest, the, the veil was rent from top to bottom. God removed the barrier and said, fellowship directly with me is now again possible so jesus says come you can go you can see you can feel you can read here in this word and know the truth and this truth makes all the difference when i was standing in my mother's bed on april the 10th of this last year or of 2019 two years ago it's been a hard it's been a long time actually uh, through the pandemic everything sort of narrows but in 2019 and i was standing there it was such a comfort to me because i did not say goodbye i said i'll see you later and she said i know you'll miss me but you got a lot of work to do so get busy <laughs> that was my mama uh but that's a hope that's a hope that is sure it is more certain than even the sun rising every day because when the Lord comes back, I have no idea. We'll, we don't have a need for light because he will be with us there, it says in Revelation. So it's even more sure than the sun rising tomorrow morning that that is true. Now, you can keep on walking down through here and you find that when they go and they see, what is the first thing that they are commanded to do? It says, then, it, then go quickly and tell his disciples. Gave those two ladies the the, the command to go and tell. Go and tell. The first two people who were told to go and tell were Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary. That's all we know we're there. So, ladies, go and tell. That's what it says here. And he says, tell his disciples. But you know when uh, Mary meets Jesus there and takes hold of him, uh, she took hold of his feet. He wasn't a spirit. He was a body there. And what did he say? Don't be afraid. Go and tell. I like the next words too. My brothers. You see, 
those guys, for the most part, had abandoned Jesus. They'd run off. One of them had followed Jesus and then denied Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, go tell those vagabonds who ran off and deserted me. He said, no, go tell my brothers. Aren't those sweet words? Uh, these who are, are kin to me, these are who are my brothers, who are children of God just like me, go tell them. Go tell them that I'm going to meet them in the Galilee. Uh, in the end of, the, of, the, uh, of John, the 21st chapter, we see where a bunch of them meet him in the Galilee. Uh, and it's an amazing chapter where the Lord restores Peter and blesses the rest of them. But then there's an evil plot that hatches. While they were going, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when the elders had assembled and taken counsel together, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, <laughs> bribe the soldiers. Tell his disciples. His disciples came and stole his body away at night. Well, there's been lies about this all along. If you get in a, in a discussion with Muslims, they're going to say, oh, there's a swoon theory, there's this theory, there's that theory. You talk to secularists, well, we're not sure it really happened. This has been, the, the lie against this day has gone on, and Satan launches a counter-offensive everywhere where God makes an offensive to go after people to bring them to salvation. Satan launches that secondary offensive. And it comes again and again in those places where, where he says, I'm going to block it every way I can. And the first and the biggest way he does that is to get people focused on money and not on him. Really, around the world, in these days, we see people coming to faith in all sorts of places. Uh, this morning, in the, in the group, this morning, we talked about people coming to faith in, in China. <laughs> My wife and I were in a place in China, and I told the folks last night about this, uh, where we were in a room with believers who, when we came into that town, they drove us right up to the door. We're in a van, and they say, step directly from the van into the door because they didn't want us to be seen in that place. And we stepped into there, and we walked through some pathways in there, and then we came into a room, a, a room, a very small room with a lot of people in it. And they were all there. And they would come early in the morning and they would stay through lunch, and eat lunch together. And then they would stay on in the afternoon for five days, I believe it was, that they were there. Maybe it might have been four and a half. And they would study God's word. They would learn. They would be disciples and all that. And while we were there, this little Chinese lady stood up and said, you know, when I found the peace that came when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I so wanted it, I wanted it for my family, that I started praying for every member of my family. And one by one, every member of my family has come to faith.
And they have chosen to follow Christ in this place where, where it, it, persecution is still, and maybe right now may have ramped up even more. The pastor in that church, if you pulled his shirt up, you would have seen where rebarb, hot rebarb had been pushed through his side. And he still bears the scars of, of being tortured because he had followed Christ. In that place, her family came to Christ. But then she said, you know what? I'm going to pray that everybody in my whole town will come to Christ because they need to experience the peace that I have found. They need to have peace with God. They need to have this eternal life that I found. And I'm going to pray that my whole country comes. Now, we have seen great results. I mean, you don't have to go far to look around and hear some huge numbers of Christians in China, people who have come to faith in the last 30 years. If you take a very conservative number, you might say 60 million. That's a whole lot more than living all of Oklahoma and all of Texas. I mean, that's a big number. Uh, if you get a more, uh, another number, a higher number, there's a, a pretty good reason to believe because I heard the BBC say that there are more Christians than there were members of the Communist Party because now there are over 90 million Christians and there was only like 80-something million communists. And they didn't even know that some of the Communist Party had actually come to faith. But God has done a work. Why? Because just what that lady said is true. God said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, right here, he has got an opposition. In our time, we know, for a fact, you can go on the internet and read Document 9 from Xi Jinping. He is opposed to, to a free church. He's opposed to a church that has God's Word. As a matter of fact, he thinks the Bible is so dangerous that he's taking it off the shelf, so you can't buy it there. But now, they're having to find other ways to get the Bible in there. And now he's even trying to rewrite the Bible with a whole different set of doctrine that is blasphemous at best. Because, you see, this word is so important. It is so dangerous to the system of Satan in this world that he is afraid for people to know the content of it. That's why he has launched counteroffensive after counteroffensive. When you say, how do we go about the Great Commission? If you look at my Bible, that's what it says at the beginning of verse 16. The editor puts up there, the Great Commission. It says, now the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Oh, didn't you love being here this morning? I had a group of folks beside me, and they were singing. I loved listening to them sing, too. But it was, we were singing about the right stuff. We are singing about the glory of God as he came. We thought about the resurrection, and that one day we were going to be part of that. And, and just like those disciples did on that day, we got excited in this room. I was excited. I loved being here this morning because it was so great to be with all of you as we announced to God himself, our worship, because he is so worthy for what he has done for us. 
And that's what the disciples did. And that's at the basis of our going with him is worshiping him, knowing who he is, putting him in that first place in our life and and, and moving there. Uh, John Piper is famous for saying that the mission exists because there are places where where people aren't worshiping God yet. And and we want to be able to see every place, people worshiping God. I have been in worship in people who are, have been Muslims. I've been in worship with people who have been communists. I've been in worship with people who were, had worshipped idols, spiritists. I've been in worship many times with people who are Hindus. I have found that when they have come to Christ, there is a passionate worship of Christ because he is worthy. And when we come together in freedom in a place like this and and express together our worship of God, it shakes the very foundations of hell. Because we are putting him in the right place. This journey pushes forward based on our worship of God. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Still some go, what? You're alive? He doesn't push us away when we're, when we're, we're walking towards him. We, we don't understand everything. Then comes to this next phrase, an important phrase. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So how much authority is left? If you have all authority that's from heaven and you have all authority on earth, There's no other authority. When we go out, we go out under the authority, the authorization of the one who has all authority. As a missionary, you go into countries and countries give you a visa. And that gives you entrance into their country. It gives you entrance into there. They're saying, you're okay, you're all right to be in our country and uh, so the government, which has authority over the borders, does that. Well, what gives us the confidence to ask for that? Because we have been told to go. We have authority from Christ that says, go. And, and it's been amazing the places that God has let me go. Uh, because I go in his authority. And I apply for the visas and they give them to me. I, I've been so surprised. I've been on the internet. There's lots of ways you can look up and see that there are people who don't, haven't liked what I've done. But still, governments have still given me authority to go. And I am absolutely 100% sure that all of the going that I have been able to do has been under the authority of God. And when we go across the street to our neighbor... And we talk to our neighbor or, or, or in our workplace or a family member. What authority do we go to them? We go for the authority that has been granted to us by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who has all, have, all authority in heaven and all authority on earth. So that is the commissioning that we have. We have a commission from he who holds all authority. He who holds the very world together. He who gives us our next breath. He who has had everything from the beginning and will always be. He was, he is, and he always will be. Uh, That is who gives us the authority. And it is absolutely essential to know when you're going out to be a witness for him that you're going under his authority. Now, I did see and notice that that you have some training going on this church with a book called Tactics. I think that's a pretty good, 
good start to be able to be more confident in knowing how you go about um, going out under authority because it helps you understand exactly what he wants you to say and uh, it's, a, it's an interesting book. Um, you can listen to it. I, that's what I have uh, a sample of, and I've seen his other book, and I've listened to the guy talk on the podcast, and it sounds like it's a real good way to learn some of the stuff that you have authority to share with other people because of Christ saying have. We're, and then after he says that, here's what we traditionally talk about. It says, go therefore... So that means, just like in the beginning of this where Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were saying, go tell. It says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. The all is very important. Because that's pretty inclusive. He didn't say, well, you can leave out those. You can leave out Texans, maybe. No, no, you can't leave out Texans. You, you, have to, you even have to go uh, down south of the Red River, I believe it is, and, and reach those for Christ. Yes, you have to go to the ends of the earth. That, that's why our commission is not limited. Uh, that's why we press. And, and that's why in our mission statement, we say that we are going to follow the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. That's where we have a vision. A vision that comes uh, directly from the end of time. When we gather around the throne. That uh, this is where we're headed. If you look at, at Revelation 7-9. It says after this I looked and a, behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation from all tribes, all peoples, all languages. Standing before the throne. Before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white waving with palm branches in their hands and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who's seated on the throne. I was in Jeddah a number of years ago now in the middle of Hajj, and, or toward the very end of Hajj actually. And if you've been to Jeddah, you'll know that they have these huge big tents that are spread out I have no idea how big it is. I just know that as the plane was taxiing by it, it took minutes to go by it, not seconds. It had, they must have been forty or 50,000 people under that tent. It's, just, it's the biggest thing I've ever seen. As we pulled over there, um, there was just 10 of us left on the plane. And I stood out on the ramp that was leading off there. And I looked out, and everywhere I looked, people were dressed in white. People from all sorts of places. And I said, Lord, what's going on here? Because we know that on that last day, people will be dressed in white. And I got this strangest, powerful feeling in my heart where the Lord was just saying to me, you see, Satan tries to trick people by taking a little bit of truth and then messing them up so that they don't know the whole truth, the saving truth. And there all across that place were people from all these places who'd been to Mecca and had circumambulated around that rock. 
And they were thinking that their works of making a hajj, making a pilgrimage to Mecca, would save them. When the truth is the only way to be saved is to commit our lives to the Lord Jesus. And then on that day, in white robes, like they are trying to make a parody of, God will save people from every language, every tribe, every people. But on that day, as these people streamed onto my plane, I looked at sad faces. It just broke my heart. And I felt like, oh, Lord, Satan is trying to trick people into coming down a pathway that for all of eternity he will heckle them and laugh at them, saying, you took the bait, you people, and you trusted me, and you have eternity in hell with me. That drives my soul on a day-to-day -day basis because I remember those faces. I saw that parody, and I want Muslims to know Jesus because there are many wonderful people, people who I know, friends of mine, who, who, who need a Savior, but they believe the lie. You know that same people. Those people could be, uh, could be people who believe in money more than God. They could be believe in all sorts of other religions. Or they could believe in no religion at all. And all of them being tricked by Satan not to receive that eternal life. And that's why we must go and make disciples of them. Because you see, in making disciples, not only do we see people come to be saved, we come to see people be able to go out and join the great the great commission and take that message even further and further there's 7.8 billion people on the planet and god let us live in this in this century when more people are living than have ever lived in all of eternity and he has said to us go make disciples baptizing them in the name singular of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. It is a one essence God with three persons. He's unique. He's revealed himself to us in that way. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Wow. You know, when you trust this book and you learn everything that Jesus teaches us in this book, it changes your life. It changes who you are and what you do and how you go about everything that you go about. And it, it, it makes a difference because it, it affects other people. It, it, it makes you trustworthy. Uh, people can believe in you. Uh, our very country has had at its basis uh, people who have believed in the truth of, uh, of God's word. And, and, you know, so you, it's against, really, it's against the law to, to lure somebody into a promise with a lie that's called fraud i mean we we don't believe in that in this country although it happens a lot we try to enforce laws against that we we don't believe in killing other people because why because people are made in god's image and god does not he says there in in, in genesis chapter 9 that you you can't shed blood of other persons because that is against him that's attacking the uniqueness of a people you, you just keep on looking all the way through those things that god has said that makes us a trustworthy people makes it a place that other people can live and prosper and grow that is what teaching people to observe all things means i have a friend who lives in in north africa and uh, when he first became a believer, his family threw him out. 
of the home and um, it was hard on him he felt lost alone except for the savior and the believers were with him and uh, the few believers he lived in a city with probably two or three believers in the whole city and some farm believers there and um, he just kept trusting lord learning to obey one day his dad came to him and said son I, i've got to have you back i can't trust your brothers i need you because you're my only trustworthy child when we first met him uh in that place uh he became a fast friend and and uh he he had a brother who had glaucoma very badly and and needed to take him out for a trip and I had arranged some things so that they could get some treatment, and um, and so he made arrangements to go. And it's a long story, but this is back in the day of VCR, VCRs, and I put some tapes in there because my mother-in-law had sent us a bunch of basketball tapes for us to watch. And he got stopped, and he got detained. I didn't know it was really because his brother was a Muslim radical, and we didn't know. But he got stopped, and he had my my annual report. He went to jail. I was in all sorts of pain and struggle going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I got this guy in trouble. Went up, talked to his wife. She, you know, she's trusting the Lord and we prayed together, but she found all the gold that she had because that's how they save money there. And she said, well, this is what I have to live on because where he went into jail, very few people ever come out. And over that weekend and all Monday, I was struggling, trying to figure out what happened. And late on Monday afternoon, I was uh, there trying to figure out, well, what's next? How do, I, how do I help them? What do I do? And there came this big knock at the gate. My son, I said, go tell people I, I don't really have time. He came back. He came back and said, Dad, it's Fatih and Hamda. And I went, what? We went out. He got down there. They came into our house. They smelled because they hadn't taken a bath in the days they were in jail. And he said, we want to go home. And on the ride home, he said, John, it was so good. I said, what was good about being in jail? He said, when I was in jail, I found out that I would not deny Jesus and that I could stand firm under persecution. And they brought us an orange in there, and I took the peel, and I wrote on the wall Bible verses so that other people might see the, the light print of that and take the hope that I have. And we, and we were looking for a voice to be Jesus in the Jesus film because, you know, you put it into those languages. He said, uh, nobody else is volunteering, but I want my voice to go out so that my people will hear the story of Jesus because it matters. You see, when he learned to observe all things that Christ has commanded and made him trustworthy, he made him dependable, it carried him through persecution, and he wanted everyone to know. I tell you, it's worth everything you have. Jesus said there was a man who found a treasure in a field, and what did he do? He went and sold all he had so that he could buy that field so he could have that treasure. Well, this is the treasure in the field. This is the task, to go, to share, to teach, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so that they can join that great host. Now there's a promise that goes with it. Behold, look, see, or in the old King James, and lo, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. 
He didn't leave you or forsake you. I can tell you that. Personal experience. I've been in places that I could not get out of, and I'm in trouble. And the Lord says, hey, just trust me. I'm with you. He can't be locked out of anything. And, and He will walk with you every day of your life. And you know what it's like to have the Lord Jesus walking with you, the one who has all authority, all power, all strength. You will be able to do things you've never imagined you could do. You'll be able to go and you'll be able to affect change. You'll be able to see people who will move from life, from death to life. And, and it, it, it will move down through the whole of the family as long as they shall live. A missionary came to a little church in the edge of the mountains in South Carolina, right on the North Carolina border. It was a church that's sort of a rural church, and you probably can ride out in the middle of Oklahoma and find a rural church that's much like this. Um, it was back uh, in the Depression time, between sometime in 1935 and 36, because I know the boy was eight and his birthday's in October. And uh, a missionary came there and shared a flannel graph, a flannel graph that, that showed the great chasm and how so many people were going into that chasm and, and they were going to destiny without Christ. And then she laid a cross across that chasm and said, but the cross, and Christ has come to provide a way to life everlasting. And that young kid became a, a, a Christian on that day. His father wasn't a Christian. His mother was a Christian. Uh, his, his dad had lots of alcohol problems, other things. But on that day, he became a follower. And over the years, that, that, that picture of, of people going to, to hell without Christ, without Christ, needing Christ, drove him forward and, and he became a missionary and he married a woman who came from a godly home who was called to missions too and then they had a son and that son is me. They spent 43 years serving Christ around the world. It was an incredible opportunity for me to grow up with them. But you know, it became because a eight-year-old, it doesn't matter how old, the younger the better, made a decision to follow Christ, at an invitation to follow Christ. Uh, and, and if you're older, uh, don't delay. Make that decision. Follow Christ. Give Him your all. Do everything. there, Because you see, the Great Commission matters. It is the most important commission. It is the most important work, and God calls us all to it. Now, He calls us to it in different ways. Some of it might be right here. It might be through your job. It might be through the family that you work with or, or reaching out, just as this church has a reputation for reaching out and caring for this community. Uh, it might be uh, going on a mission trip. It might be supporting somebody else who's a, who was pastoring in another place or, 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 or being sent as missionaries like you do with Alex and Diana and other people that you've sent out or with April and others that God has called. But it is a task that we do together. And your church has that great potential. I'm going to pray, and then I'll turn it over to your pastor here in a moment. And we're going to do something.
that's very radical, we're going to remember that Christ died for us, paid that penalty. We're going to proclaim his death and the effect it had to us in there. If you want to talk to somebody about going and being a missionary or being on a mission trip or moving in that direction, there are several of us around who would love to talk to you. Your pastors here at this church would as well. And so, thank you for this time. Thank you for the way you've paid attention. Trust this word. It is true. Father, we love you. We love you so much. And it's because you first loved us. Lord, we would be nowhere if you didn't love us. And so, Lord, today we come humbly thanking you for that love. And Lord Jesus, you canceled my debt. You redeemed me. You paid for my sin. You made it possible for me to be in fellowship with, with you, Lord God Almighty. You gave me the opportunity to be a brother to be part of your great forever family. And Lord, you have done that to most everyone in this room. And Lord, I pray that everyone in this room will have that same effect and that it will spread from this place to the very ends of the earth. So Lord, this day, take us, make us, bring us into that place where we will rejoice in helping Others move from perishing to life eternal because we have experienced that by putting our trust in you. We pray this in your most sweet and precious name, Lord Jesus.